we get to jump into the service. I'm, I'm excited about the sermon uh, because back in June, we started a series on the Ten Commandments that went all of one consecutive week. <laughs> because we, Pastor Brett came as a guest, and then we had Father's Day, and so there have been all these other things that happened in between. Last week was last week. And, uh, but here we are. We're back to the Ten Commandments. And so, uh, so I'm excited about this, and we're going to be in the Ten Commandments for just a little while. What I'd like to do before we jump into today's message is bring you up to speed on the first two commandments. Um, all of these commands that we know as the Ten Commandments were part of a larger conversation, part of a covenant, a con- which is more than a contract, that God was making with the people of Israel. And he was making this covenant with them, and... Um, and so he didn't just jump out with the commands. Sometimes we take the Ten Commandments out and we're like, that's the Bible, right? That's what it means to have a relationship with God. It's like, follow these rules. But the, these rules that were being highlighted, these commands that were being made, were actually part of a covenant. And in this covenant, God's desire is that he would be their God, their only God, like no other gods but him. And so because that's what he wanted... He made that a stipulation in the commandments that he gave to break it down, just so they wouldn't be confused about, you know, what it would look like to be, for him to be their God. He, his part of the deal was that he was going to make the Israelites his people, and they were going to be chosen and treasured possession, it says in, in Exodus chapter 19. You can kind of see some of the context for this happening, but he's already delivered them out of Egypt walked them through a Red Sea, destroyed their enemy by collapsing the sea on top of them. He gave them bread from heaven. He flew in enough quail to feed all the people every evening. He brought water from a rock so they wouldn't starve. And so there's been miracle after miracle after miracle. And he goes to them and he's like, hey, I've got this proposition. Remember all this stuff I just did for you? And they're like, yeah, that was pretty cool stuff. And he's like, yeah, I want to be your God. And I want to bless you. And I want you to be my treasured possession in all the earth, distinct from every other people. And they were like, hey, it sounds good to me. Does it sound good to you? And everybody's like, yeah, sounds pretty good to be that tight with God. And God's like, great, here's what we're going to do. So he calls Moses up on the mountain and he's going to tell Moses what his part in, or what the people's part of this covenant is going to be, right? Like any other contract, they're, they're, both parties have a responsibility. And so God's going to outline that for them. So, uh, so they were like, hey, yeah, that sounds good. And so God says, well, first of all, I don't want you to have any other gods, and I don't want you to have, I don't want you to worship any idols. And that's pretty much the same as saying, um, it's the same as a parent telling their kid, hey, I don't want you to call a rock daddy or mommy. And I don't want you to look at that rock and ask it for provision. It's the same kind of thing. If my son went out into the garden and found a rock and started calling it dad and asking it for hugs and teaching it to play baseball, it, right? Like I'd be kind of upset at my biggest son. That rock can't do anything for you. And so God in the same way is saying, hey, I'm going to be your God. Don't have any other gods because they can't do anything for you. They're just going to destroy you. Don't worship these idols. They can't do anything for you. They have no power. They're impotent to help you and to transform you and to change you and to teach you and to guide you. I alone can do that and I alone will do that. And so here we do, we find ourselves at Exodus chapter 20, verse 7. And we're going to look at this third commandment. Exodus chapter 20, verse 7. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. 
for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. This is God's word. Father, we thank you for the covenant that you made. We thank you for the covenant that you fulfilled. I ask God that today you would open our ears to hear, our eyes to see, our hearts to understand who it is that you've called us to be so we can be that that peculiar people on the earth who belong to you, who are your chosen, who are your royal priesthood and a holy nation. In Jesus' name, amen. So we see a command and we see a consequence. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to spend a lot of the time of the message talking about the command and the consequence. And then I'm going to ask the question, what now? Like, what do we do with this? And how do we, how do we end up with it? You shall not take the Lord your God in vain. Could be said more literally or translated more literally. You shall not falsely lift up the name of Yahweh. Uh, I say Yahweh instead of the Lord your God because in your Bible you'll see that uh, the, the word Lord in, in a lot of translations is, is all caps. That's not because they couldn't find the lowercase O-R-D. It's because the name there was the proper name of God. It was, it was Yahweh there. And so any, anywhere in your Bible that you see the name Lord in all caps, it's actually translating the word Yahweh, okay? And it's used... Uh, thousands of times in the Bible. So whenever you see it, it's like, it's saying, hey, this is really important. This is a proper name of God. This is a significant thing that I want you to hear and respond to. Um, the word picture behind this statement is that he doesn't want us to falsely lift up his name, but he also doesn't want us to empty the name of its value. The Jewish people took this commandment so seriously that they wouldn't even say the name Yahweh fully. They wouldn't even spell it out. Sometimes you see some traditions of people follow this. And if you've ever seen somebody write God, but G underscore D, uh, it's from a tradition of wanting to be reverent to the name of God and give difference to, to him and say, hey, look, every other name is unlike this one. I'm not, I'm not even going to speak it. I'm not even going to write it. I, 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 don't want to, uh, I don't even want to begin to approach this. I want to hold it up in high esteem and high regard. Uh, Jesus even taught his disciples how to pray. He said, he taught them to say, Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Making this name of God, making this name of Yahweh, lifted up, exalting it, holding it high up and separate from everything else. And if I could be honest with you today, sometimes we're a little bit too comfortable with God. We're a little bit too comfortable with the idea. Some of us, because, because we understand that Jesus died for our sins and we're covered in the blood of Jesus and we have liberty and freedom and, and we, we get to enjoy the fullness of life because of the sacrifice that he made. Our sins are forgiven if we believe that Jesus Christ is Lord and that God raised him from the dead, right? We, we have salvation so we can kind of be like, hey, yeah, me and Jesus, we're homeboys, you know, but we forget about, about the consequence of emptying his name of its power. Oftentimes, we take a command like this, and I mean, how many of you normally, when you hear this command or when you think of this command, you think it means you can't drop the GD bomb? Right? Are you just offended I said the GD thing? Was that offensive? I didn't say the whole thing. I've grown since my college ministry days. Right? 
But, uh, you know, but when we limit it to this kind of legalistic, don't say his name this way, we feel like we're off the hook if we're like, gall darn or gum, you know, or, you know, dagnabbit, you know, and we're like, well, I didn't cuss. I didn't say his name in vain. I didn't use his name as an expletive. And if we limit it just to mean don't take his name in vain, don't say it as an expletive, then, then we feel like as long as I don't, you know, cuss using his name, then, then I can live however I want with the rest of my life. But that would be to cheapen this command. Just to say, well, you, you can't say his name badly, but you can live however you want. The reality is to lift up his name falsely or to lift up his name and make it empty is a lot easier than we like to think that it is. He doesn't want his name being used for selfish ambition, self-promotion. He doesn't want his name being used for control and manipulation. You know how mad you get if you see somebody use God's name to do something wicked or evil? How much more upset, upsetting do you think that is to God himself? Those who take the name of Christ, who pray in his name, who take his name as part of their identity but deliberately disobey his commandments are taking his name in vain. When we say that we love him, but we don't do what his commands tell us to do, we take his name in vain. When we use his name or the title of Christian, which in this country for a long time has been uh, something honorable, but you know that's not the case in every culture. So we're more likely here in the, in, in the United States to be like, yeah, I'm a Christian, to get some sort of like moral accolade and add a boy, you're moral or ethical or, you know, you go to church on Sunday, I know something about your character, but that's not the case in much of the world where if you identify with Christ, you're saying, you're saying that you're willing to die for him. You're saying that you're identifying with a God that is above the God that they serve, a God that is above the nation that you're in, And that you're willing to stake your career, your life, and your family on him. That'll keep you from saying his name in vain. That'll keep you from holding it up falsely. I didn't mean it. I just wanted the promotion. This uh, discussion of faith comes up a lot during political cycles. And I'm glad that it does because it forces everybody to evaluate not just the candidates, but their own lives as well. And I think we would all do very well during this season to make sure that we don't just uh, condemn or impugn the character of people who are running for office, but examine our own hearts and make sure that we too aren't taking the name of the Lord in vain. If somebody took an oath in the name of God and lies, there would be definite consequence for that. I would even say we empty the name of Jesus by thinking that we're something of ourselves. We can empty the name of Jesus by promoting ourselves, by bringing ourselves up and, and just inviting Jesus to make ourselves a better version of ourselves. I know when I got saved, I, I invited the salvation of Jesus because I thought I was a pretty good guy and I wanted to be better. Right? Or maybe not when I was six, but definitely when I was in college, that was my understanding of what was available for me. That, that was what, that's what I thought was purchased for me on the, Christ, uh, on the cross, a better opportunity, an opportunity to be better than the man that I was. 
But God has something far greater in store for you and me than just, than just um, a better version of yourself. He's got a new thing in mind altogether. He wants to change you and transform you and bring you into new life and to let you experience the fullness of life that he designed for you. He wants you to walk with him and to be his person, to be his people. To be a royal priesthood, a people who know him and talk to him and love him and interact with him, who he can speak to. God wants to speak to you. Not just in theory. Not just from the pulpit. But by his Holy Spirit, through his word, he wants to minister grace to you. He wants to transform you. If you've been walking with Jesus um, for maybe less than a couple years, you're in this really exciting place where it's like you, you learn new things every week and, and it's like, man, this is, I didn't understand, I didn't know this, I didn't know this, this is really exciting. Look how much my life has changed just in the last couple of years. Right? I'm not, I'm not hung over all the time. I'm not this or I'm not that. And my, I've had this transformation in my life. But when you've been walking with Jesus for, 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 if you've been a Christian for a while, it's easy to get settled into and just accept that, well, this is my transformed life. I used to do a lot of bad stuff. God cleaned me up and now I'm pretty much good. I'm going to ride this out to the end. Try not to mess it up. Try not to end up on the news or in jail. Right? Or on the news in jail, right? But the goal of the Christian life isn't to stay off the news and not go to jail. It's not just to make it across the finish line in your marriage or, or, or that your kids don't, don't train wreck their life. That's not the Christian life. That's a life led by fear. What Christ has called us to is to live in the shadow of the cross and experience continual transformation. So I would encourage you, if you haven't experienced transformation recently, maybe it's time to take, steed of your, take, take, take heed of your life, kind of scan the, the horizon of your life and say, God, where is it that, you're, you still, that I still need to be transformed, that you still desire to transform me and lead me into this new life? I sat down with a couple. They've been married 30 years. And um, they had some, some communication issues. And I was like, so, you know, with these new problems? And like, nope, our whole marriage. It's <laughs> like, well, I'm glad we're here today. I really, I really was. I was glad. I was like, but why'd you wait 30 years? And we were talking and I said, the, the number one thing that we're going to do here, before we even talk about ticks and trips, uh, tricks and tips about communication, before we talk about how to talk to one another and, and, and how we can improve in that area of your life, I need you to see if you even believe that you can change. You need to decide whether or not you believe God can still transform your life after being a Christian for 25 years. And the reality is some of us aren't willing to accept that reality. What's even more scary is some of us don't even want that. Because after you've walked with God for 10 years, it's kind of like, God, I changed all this other stuff. Don't put your hands on this. I gave up cussing out loud. Now I just cuss in my mind and I like it. I gave up going to the bar. Now I just get drunk at home. I like it. Don't touch that. Right? Now I don't kick the dog. I just think about it and I hit the wall. Right? I'm glad you're not kicking the dog. You're just hitting a wall. It's inanimate. You're just going to hurt your hand. But, but I'm glad. But like, 
Let's believe for transformation. We, we empty the name of Christ when we no longer call on him for salvation. When we no longer call, when we think that we've made it to the place where we don't need him anymore. Thanks for your gift, God, but all good, I'll take it from here. We really live that way. I really live that way. We try and arrest those thoughts and take them captive, but sometimes we just need a little shake and a wake up. But if you haven't experienced transformation or if you haven't been challenged in an area of your life recently, I would ask that all of us just go to the cross and say, God, what do you want to change in me? I don't want to take the name Christian in vain because it doesn't cost a lot to take in the United States. It's hard to find a Christian who's taking the name in vain in persecuted areas. Probably impossible. And we need to be crying out to God for his continual regeneration, the continual life to be coming and changing us and and coming out of us and extending that love to other people. We need that love to be completed in us. And that's a process that we'll never finish. I love talking with men who have walked with Jesus for 50, 60 years and hearing how they're still being challenged by the word. I love hearing how they're still being challenged in their sanctification. I like it a little bit when they cuss at their car or get mad because I'm like, good, they're not done yet. You know, I just like it a little bit, but that little bit of me liking it's probably sin that I need to be transformed out of. And yeah, I got it. See, there we go. I like it too much because I'm like, yeah, you're bad like me. Start a club, you know. Call it the church. and We'll just come together and we'll be like, yeah, I'm terrible. Are you terrible? Yeah, I'm terrible. And I need God's forgiveness. Do you need God's forgiveness? Yeah, I need it too. And it's like, yeah. Then we'll meet on Sundays and worship together. The God that saved us and forgave us because we're terrible. Right? And we'll invite people who are not like us and don't look like us and don't talk like us and don't have the same money that we have to come and celebrate with us. Don't speak the same language we have. Don't wear the same clothes we have. And we'll invite them to come worship with us because they're terrible too and they need Jesus. The Bible says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So if you're wondering who you should talk to about your faith, try anyone. I'm pretty sure... I'm pretty sure it's not like you're wondering who's got 50 bucks in their pocket, right? The Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So if you're looking for somebody who needs the good news, try the person next to you. Try the person in line with you. Try your neighbor. Try yourself. It doesn't say some have fallen short of the glory of God. Good luck finding them, guys. But even that'd be kind of like an Easter egg hunt and kind of fun in its own kind of weird way. Transformation is supposed to be continual and I think we take his name in vain and we empty of it its power if we ever deny its power for ourselves. Proverbs 18.10 says that the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and are safe. His name is a strong tower. He's powerful. When we empty his name of its value 
and meaning. When we lift it up falsely, we strip it of its power. We strip his name of his power when we lift it up falsely or we do so in vain. God's power isn't limited, but the effectiveness of his power in your life is. So it's not like if I call, if I, if I don't give God due credit that somehow he's no longer God. I don't have that power. Let's talk about family, right? So if my son ever decided to say, you're not my dad, it wouldn't change the fact that I'm his dad. But he would be shutting himself off in his heart and mind from the benefits of being my son. So when we take his name falsely, and this is, this is the first consequence, is that we lose the power for our lives. We lose the presence, the nearness, and the blessing of God for our life. If that's not tragic enough, God says at these, the second half of the verse, he says it this way, the Lord will not hold him guiltless. Him who, uh, I, we, the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. When you think of God as a, an impersonal force, as a power, as something to be grasped, it, 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 we could forget that he's a person, that he has a mind, a will, and emotions. But when we recognize those things about him, that he has a mind, a will, and emotions, that he is a person, it's easy to conclude that, that not, only, um, not only does his command make sense, but it's also reasonable. He doesn't want his name being impugned by people walking around, taking his name, and living another way. In the same manner that you don't want somebody taking your name, that's the big thing about identity theft, right? Somebody takes your name and then goes and buys themselves a car and 18,000 things at walmart.com, right? And, and you don't want anybody taking your name and misrepresenting who you are or what you've done, nor does God. Nor does God. And so there is a consequence and he won't hold guiltless those who do it. As a side note, it's hard to find sermons that talk about this part of it because it's terrifying. We like the happy God. But we are saved by God, from God, to God. We're saved by him, from his wrath, to himself. It's a pretty sweet deal. And he paid the cost for it. But you would definitely expect persecution to the highest degree if somebody took your name, did things in your name that you didn't approve of, that are against your character, that are against your purpose, that are against your meaning, that are against your plan. You would expect a persecution of that person, wouldn't you? But when we think about doing this in the name of God, taking God's name in vain and doing things in his name. We're like, no, I'm good. I'm good. So now what? 
The reality is when we live in a God-honoring way, there's a lot more that we can do than we can't do. And I think that's why the commandment's written in the negative. Because if, he, if Moses and God were still talking about what we could do, the conversation would still be happening. Right? If they were talking about, you know, Moses would be like, hey, can I, uh, can I go for walks? God's like, yes. Can I watch sunsets? Yes. Can I enjoy the things that you created? Yes, Adam. Yes, Moses. Can I eat nachos? Absolutely. <laughs> right? Can I enjoy chicken wings? Yes. Can I eat bacon? Not for 1,400 years. Can I watch movies? Sure. Be careful there, but yes, you can watch movies. Can I get married? Yes. Can I enjoy my, my marriage? Yes. Can I have kids? Yes. Can I enjoy my kids? Yes. But don't make a God out of them. Can I pretend that we have a relationship and use your name for selfish gain? No. Right, right. Just checking. (laughs) Right? Can I worship other gods, God? No. Hey, God, how about I make carvings out of trees and I worship them instead? Can I do that? No. Can I work hard at my job? Yes. Can I enjoy good things? Yes. Can I enjoy a rainbow? Yes. Can I enjoy good food? Yes. Can I enjoy a good drink? Yes. The, the yeses are far more plentiful than the noes, but we get stuck on the no. And the noes are important, but we want to run off and talk about God can't. We got all these rules and hey, me, me. Right, that's what I just ran out of words. <laughs> But there's so much more yes than no, but we get stuck on the no and we're like, I don't want to serve you. It's too many no's. I'd rather worship and serve the things that can't do anything for me, God. Nobody goes back to the car they worked so hard for when a loved one's dying. It says, will you please save my family? Nobody goes to the, to the house that they worked so hard to keep up and to buy and say, could you please heal my son? So we shouldn't spend all of our time worshiping those things. We empty the name of Jesus if we, we risk emptying the name of Jesus if we set any of these things too high. God is calling us to take his name seriously. God is calling us to take him seriously, to revere and to honor him and to love him and adore him, to walk with him, to surrender to him, to love him and to obey him. Yes, to obey him. He gives us new life and gives us his name and gives us his power. So he's not asking us to obey just without any benefit. I've talked about it before, but uh, you know, if my wife was like, here's all the things I need you to do, but there was no relationship. It'd be like, man, I, I don't even understand that. But God goes a step further. He's like, here's what, here's what I'm calling you to, and I'm going to help you get it done. I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to empower you. I'm going to transform you. I'm going to change you so that you can become who I've designed you and intended you to be in the first place. We need to recognize that he is our hope, that he is our joy. In him, we live and move and have our being. We need to give weight and honor to his name. We shouldn't take the GDs too casually. But you also shouldn't take your attitude too lightly. Just because you don't say GD doesn't mean you're not taking his name in vain.
some of us today need to run to Jesus, the strong tower, and be saved today. Like today, you need to run to Jesus and you need to say, I'm done doing it my way. I'm ready to surrender my plan. I'm ready to obey. I'm ready to love. I'm ready to follow. I'm ready to accept the gift of life. I'm ready to forgive. I'm ready to be forgiven. I'm, I'm, I'm ready to, you know, sometimes we, we run around holding, a, holding ourselves captive by our own forgiveness of our own unforgiveness of ourselves that we won't even let God forgive us. Some of us need to let go of that. And then secondarily, some of us need to just repent for taking his name in vain, for taking his name casually, for wearing the name Christian and, and saying, oh, just because I go to a good church, just because, I, just because I'm tied to some good people, just because my grandfather was a, a pastor or something else, I'm, I'm good. And, and that's your relationship with him doesn't go any further than that. Some of, some of us need to repent for that. I'll be honest with you, when I was, when I was doing this sermon prep this week, I, I was convicted. I was like, man, God, forgive me for not calling on you the way I need to call on you for my own life and for my own family and my own neighbors. Forgive me for self-sufficiency. Forgive me for trying to do it on my own and, and trying to be a better version of myself instead of allowing you to come and transform me continually. God, forgive me for standing on my gifts. Forgive me for standing on my relationships. Forgive me for standing on education. I want to live by your spirit. I want to live by your power. I want to live by your love. And so if you feel not enough today, he's more than enough. And you're in a great position to be able to receive that. If you feel like you're, you're more than enough, then you're going to find that you've limited his power. And on that day, you'll call and be found not guiltless.